Well, welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, the co-founder of Familiars Publishing, husband, father of nine, author, fly fisherman, backpacker, and aspirational musician based in the Central Valley of California. We hope to bring you nourishing, real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And we are happy to introduce today's guest, Noah Benchia. Now, Noah is one of North America's most respected and beloved poet-philosophers. He is the Pulitzer Prize-nominated and internationally best-selling author of 29 books, translated into 18 languages and embraced around the world. Today, we're discussing the duality of anxiety and calm. From his most recent book, The Surfer and the Sage, How to Survive and Ride Life's Waves, that he co-wrote with world champion surfer Sean Thompson. Noah has been generous to agree to a series of podcasts throughout 2023, and we invite you to reflect and learn how to survive and ride life's ways from this wonderful poet-philosopher. The information shared today aligns with the Familiar's 10 Habits of Happy Families. You can learn more about the Familiar's 10 Habits of Happy Families by going to the Habit Hub blog on Familiar's.com. Now, Noah, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us for this. My pleasure to be here. My pleasure to be here. So you've written about anxiety and calm. Could you take a moment and from your own point of view, help us understand what is anxiety and what is calm and why you chose to write about them in, in, with this duality together? Well, I'll be glad to read you actually from what I've written in our book, The Surfer and the Sage, about calm and anxiety. But this comment about the duality, when Sean and I were putting the book together, it was it was clear to us that we had to write on any topic on the duality of it, because life seems to be coming and going at the same time, from the time you arrive until the time you, you depart. And if you think that you're going to find any plus in life without a minus or any minus in life, for which you cannot find a plus, then it really just speaks to your inability to see below the surface. So common anxiety, we really took as the first chapter in this book, because there's probably no other word, two words, or the antithesis of one as the other, in our culture globally now. That anxiety is the most common passport people use when they express how they are feeling now. And anxiety is a sensation that totally trespasses every religion, every culture, every race, uh, every country on this uh, small blue planet. So let me read to you what I wrote at the beginning of the book and see how this connects in, and we can go from there at your liking, Christopher, please. The word anxious can by itself make you feel anxious, and perhaps no word is more emblematic of how people are feeling these days. Sadly, anxiety attacks all the other feelings, no matter if we are talking about love, work, or even aging. Anxiety debilitates our ability to find more and not less in every aspect of our lives. Just as guilt won't change your past, neither will anxiety improve your future. But what people seldom realize is that anxiety is not necessarily negative. It is a warning system built into our biopsychology and physiology. 
Perhaps think of anxiety as a balancing pole that will keep you upright on your life board as you witness waves that can threaten to topple you. Anxiety says, pay attention or you will pay later. So how do we find our balance with anxiety? By seeing it for what it is and isn't. Bottom line, don't give anxiety too much of your attention because anxiety isn't a boost, but a caution. And anxiety won't improve your future. Calm, on the other hand, is a word that has been idealized in every religion and teaching across time. Finding that quiet, safe place inside of you is about as good as it gets in life. If you doubt this for a moment, imagine a life where your roommate for life is anxiety. Finding calm on your life board, if that's your surfboard in life, in the middle of a great wave is a wave's meditation lifting you to a sacred place. Choose calm when it calms your spirit, but do not choose calm when it robs you of the wild ride you want to remember for the rest of your life. Make that decision calmly and treasure the moment, but do not confuse calm as being passionless or your life will be less. My take on this is when there are storms overhead, drop into your mind's ocean and ride the waves under your waves. The calm in your storm is the calm within you. Your calm is calmly waiting. Your calm is not a distance from you unless you are at a distance from you. Well, that's beautiful. This thought of of actually being separate from ourselves is a profound idea that being calm is, is really accepting where we are. I, You know, I think that people forget that Oftentimes, uh, the anxiety comes oftentimes at three o'clock in the morning when you wake up staring at the tiles in the roof because you have a child dealing with something that you can't fix or you're worried about employment or an argument you had with your partner before you went to bed or a memory of what you did or didn't say to a parent. But what's important to remember is that your mind will tell you what it's thinking. It doesn't really care if you like what it's thinking or not, but you have to remember it's just telling you what it's thinking. You have to decide what you're going to accept from your mind's thought. You have to be able to step outside and realize you don't want to put your mind's thoughts in the driver's seat. Uh, You want to be able to stop and look at it and bear witness to yourself in any situation because clearly we're not very often and sometimes uh, rarely in charge of what happens to us in life. We are in charge of who we are when that happens to us in life. Yeah, I agree. We like to say that we're free to choose, but we're not always free of the consequences which follow. And that- It isn't by coincidence that pride is the first of the seven deadly sins. And the first of those is to think that you're in charge. You know what you are in charge of is trying to be uh, the best person you can be in a situation and affording yourself the right to be wrong. The humility, the humility of recognizing too many people embarrassment connects with shame, but embarrassment at its highest level, if it isn't trivialized by your ego, is humility. So coming to embarrassment is to understand that you have every reason to be humble. And I remind people that the issue of being shamed by anxiety because you're so taut and tense about what's happening is a reminder that it's not an act of character to beat yourself up because you did something wrong. 
is not about being self-abusive. It's about being self-accountable. So when you witness these things, when you witness your anxiety, welcome to the human experience. And if you think that you're alone in your anxiety, let me remind you that we're all alone, but we're all alone together. Together. So when I was speaking with Sean, we were talking about this same duality of anxious and calm. And of course, he was reminded of experiences of surfing some of the deadliest waves in the world. And this anxiety of the potential life threatening that that he's about to embark in. And then the calm that is required for him to do what he did to ride those waves. And it was that duality was essentially what you've spoken about. But he mentioned, he said that one of the things that was critical for him was to learn to breathe. And that that breath and being able to have controlled breathing in the midst of the storm was essential to bring that sense of calm while having this incredible ride. What do you do that our listeners might embrace to help move from anxiety to calm? Well, it's an ancient, ancient tradition that in breath, there is calm, there is enlightenment. If you know someone who's going through an anxiety attack, one of the most common manifestations of it is you will witness them being unable to breathe. Their breathing is just all over the place. So what the first medics often do is they will put a paper bag over someone's head because the paper bag, first of all, so they can't, it just requires them to calm their breathing. It's a very strange phenomenon, but I'm a guy who's had several courses in first aid and that I've always sort of wanted to be a responsible, I wanted to be a doc when I was a kid. But I, so I I realized about breath and its rule is profoundly important. Let's just say that if you take it biblically, when in the Bible that is accepted both by Jews, Christians, and, and Muslims, in the first aspect of the book of Genesis, it says that God blew into the red earth and created the first person. It was the breath of God that blew into the red earth. Now, the word for red in Hebrew is Adam. That's why the first person is named Adam, because it's the red earth that God blew into. Well, I remind people that the first breath that was blown into the brown earth that created the first human being, that Adam could only hold his breath by releasing his breath that he got from God. So when Adam got God's breath, he released his breath, and Eve had a chance to breathe. And then Eve had the breath of God, and she could only take it in, and she had to release her breath, and it was passed around. So all of us, to this day, are sharing the first breath that created the first human being in the history of the world. So we are all, by definition, inspired to be filled with breath. And we are all, the word conspiring usually means people planning a robbery, but it really means people breathing together. So we are all conspiring, we are all inspired by the, and we all hold with us the first breath. It's inevitable. If you doubt this, it isn't true because I'm the international best-selling author of 29 books written in 18 languages. It's true because this, my friends, if you're listening to our podcast, how long can you hold your breath? The only way you can hold your breath is by releasing your breath. The only way you can be more is by your willingness to be less. This is an ancient teaching East and West. For me personally, I have a reminder when I'm saying my prayers in the morning that I say to God I, uh, in um, in Italian, because part of I speak some Hebrew, I, I speak Italian, I talk to myself in English and also in imagery. I remind, I say, God, I, I take your breath and I return your breath. 
prendo il respiro, il tuo respiro, respiro e ritorno il tuo respiro. And then I say, I take your breath and I return your breath. And then I say, in this again, if you and from Italian, because it's one of my affections, I think, date from you, ame to me. Da me, from me to you. So it's from you to me, from me to you. That's the Holy Spirit sacred that we're all in. For the actual breathing, there is something which is ancient, ancient, ancient Hindu. I spent many years, much time focused in India. Many years ago, I turned 21 in Calcutta, many, many years ago. There is a breath process which I share with people that is profoundly simple and profoundly effective. And it's this. Take, it's 478. And the 478 works like this. I can't tell you why 478 works like this. All I can tell you is it works. When I've had people trying to deal with things in their life, any health issue or psychological issue, I'll say to them, try this. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, next, try to see. 478. And the 478 works like this. You inhale for four, you count to seven, you exhale through eight. So I will go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And I do that three times. And I tell you, I'm a guy who's had an active mind who was reading under the covers by a flashlight from the time I was four years old. And I've tried everything because my mind does not go necessarily easy into that good night. And I have counted sheep and I have counted in reverse from 100 down to one. And I think that four, seven, eight, breathe in for four, count to yourself seven without exhaling, and then exhale slowly through eight. Do that three times and see if that does not bring you peace. It's an ancient Vedic breathing technique. That's wonderful. So we've had two podcasts now that have focused specifically on breathing, the idea of box breathing, which is four, 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 and four. And now you brought to us this breathing technique, which is four, seven, eight. Both techniques are easy to remember and easy to do. And that will help us as we move from anxiety to calm. So no, just this thought, there's a line I wrote a long time ago that said, the obvious is often camouflaged by its obviousness. <laughs> right? So it isn't because it has to be complicated for it to be impactive. You just have to do it. I agree. I, I've learned that in, uh, as we studied physics, that if, if you can't put it on a t-shirt, the calculation is probably wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, Noah, again, thanks so much for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to learn from you and to share from your wisdom. You know, as we conclude today's podcast, of course, we'd like to thank Familias for the support in bringing the podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we would be honored if you chose a book from Familius, perhaps The Surfer and the Sage. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. May you go from strength to strength and be a source of strength to others. Thank you, Noah.